Thank God. Thank God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, every eye closed for a minute. The Lord's moving in here right now. Yield yourself to the Lord right now. Let His Spirit flow. Let His Spirit flow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Glory to your name, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Why don't we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I'm going to let you be seated. Praise be to God. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss our children and our young people for their classes today. We're thankful for them. We're thankful for our teachers. We have a great staff here and these people do so much. We're thankful for their faithfulness and for their commitment. And we love our young people. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I want to give Sister Schoonover an opportunity to come and greet you. And speak to you. I know that she's, I put her on the spot. She, she's here, so you're going to hear from her. That's the way that I look at it. God bless you. Hallelujah. I'll take off my mask for this. And I'll take off my other mask. And my other mask. You know, we put on a lot of masks in, in life. We do. And... Um, God is good. I just, I just want to say um, I'm thankful to be here today, and um, I'm thankful. That's all I can say today is I'm thankful to be here. We never know what we're going to be doing, and I am very glad to be with you all today. God bless you, Brother Flowers. Very happy to be here. Amen. Praise God. In case you missed the announcement, next Sunday we're going to have a bit of a Christmas program, a Christmas cookies, and celebrate this season. I'm praying that you all have a good week and, and uh, that you get to celebrate with people that you want to celebrate with. That's what I'm hoping, hoping for. Amen. Why don't you look in the book of Galatians, chapter 4. Galatians, chapter 4. Verse 19. 
Paul wrote this this uh, chapter, this book, he wrote it to the the church in a town called Galatia. So, if you will picture in your mind a a, a congregation, to use this term, a group of people that were in a city, and Paul wrote this book to them, addressing that group. And uh, I, I don't have time to get into all the various aspects and topics that he, uh, that he addressed in the book. I will encourage you. Um, it, is a, it is a learning book, I would say, a book of learning. Paul, he, you know, he, when he wrote to the Romans, he talked about some things. And when he wrote to the Corinthians, he talked about some other things. When he wrote to the Ephesians and all the different groups and the individuals that he wrote to, he was addressing their situations, their needs, their stations in life, the different things that were going on inside the church groups and the different things that were going on in the cities around them and you know, addressing the world that they were living in. And when he writes this book to the, to, to the Galatians, he's, he's writing a lot of um, trying to impart knowledge to them. So I'm, I'm encouraging you, spend some time there, especially, you know, uh, I'm 35 years old and I've, I've been reading the Bible for almost 35 years in some form or another, but I'll be the first one to say the more I read it, the more I learn from it. The more time that I spend letting it digest, letting it do its work in me, the more that I see there's so much in here that I have not seen and learned and grasped in 30 years of, of time. And so, so I don't say it to say, well, if, you, if, you're, if you're basic, you know, read Galatians. If you don't know anything, no, this is for all of us. And the things that Paul writes and imparts in, in the book of Galatians is very needful and helpful to us in that way. Now, I want to just talk a little bit about this particular verse that he, that he writes here. It's Galatians 4 and 19. And... Think about it, first of all, just those first three words in, in the verse. My little children. There's probably some of them that appreciated being addressed as such. And I would dare say there might even have been some that might not have appreciated being addressed as such. Who's he calling little? Who's he calling a child? I'm a man. I'm a grown up, you know. But if you, if, you, if you see that attitude, if you feel that attitude in yourself, you, you know, it's worth reflecting and thinking, why would that rise up in me if a man of God is wanting to speak to me in this way? You know, God was the one speaking through Paul to his people. So when he says, my little children, he's, he's really, he's addressing if, if you will, he's addressing a, almost a mindset or a, a, uh, the situation, the, the, the people that he's talking to. Now, Paul, he was an apostle. 
And what that meant literally was that he would go from place to place and start, or another term would be birth, churches. And then he would address people as children. Not because of their certain age, earthly-wise, but because he would say, you're new to this, or you just haven't matured to a place where I'm going to call you anything but a child. So he says, my little children. I don't take offense at that. I don't take a, a, a reproach towards that. If that's the way I need to be talked to, I want to be talked to that way. My little children of whom I travail in birth again. Paul already started this church. He already knew those people. He, he spent time there. Significant amounts of time of his life were spent in that town with those people. Preaching to them. Teaching them. Baptizing them. Sharing the gospel with them. Addressing their, their, their lives. Their home lives. I would dare say counseling them. You know. Trying to help them grow. That's what the minister does. And so, he says, I travail in birth again. He's going back to something that he had already done with them one time. I was there with you, and you were born into Christ. You were born into the church. You were born, but now we're going back and revisiting that. He says, I'm doing this. Paul's letting those people know the frame of mind that Paul is in when he's addressing them, when he's thinking about them, when he's praying for them. And so he says, of whom I travail again until Christ be formed in you. The until is an interesting term because he's saying, I'm going to do this as long as I have to. As long as it's necessary, this is going to be my Approach to God on your behalf until he's formed in you. Everyone say formed. Until Christ be formed in you. Now I've got a question. How would Paul know at what point Christ is formed in a person? Or how would we know? Is it just some, you know, Drop that God says, oh, you don't have to pray about it anymore. Or is he going off of things that he's seeing and hearing? And, you know, they wrote him letters back, you know. There was, there was always two-way communication and conversation between Paul and the churches. Oftentimes he even addresses, your letter. I received your letter. So he knows, at least somewhat, he knows what's taking place. There with them, with the church. And so he's saying, <laughs> in other places he says, are you not yet carnal because you're still dealing with this? Because you're still struggling with this? Or because you haven't changed your frame of mind from this to this? So he knows, Paul knows the condition of the people and the church that he's writing to. And he says, until Christ be formed in you. 
I, I believe that's what the Lord wants us to, to think about today and, and, and just examine ourselves and say, do I have Christ formed in me? Not, am I a Christian? And if you want to know the difference, I mean, I'm not just trying to split hairs and, and talk about words today, but if you want to know the difference, just look around at society today and those who profess to be Christians. Us included. We profess to be Christians. But I had this conversation one time with a friend. We were talking about the term apostolic. What, why is it even a significant term? Why, you know, why can't we just say, be like Christ? Why can't we just say, be a Christian? What's the importance of saying apostolic? And I, what I told him was, well, if I said I'm a Christian and I felt like that adequately expressed and conveyed all that I think that should, I'd be fine using that term. But we use an, an additional term or a, a, a different term, apostolic, because to me that expresses some further details about who, who, who I profess to be, who I think I'm supposed to be, what I do, what I act like, what I read, what I say, what I believe. It's what the apostles did. It's where the term apostolic comes from. If I felt like it was enough to just describe myself as Pentecostal, I, I would do so. And I am. I believe it. I profess it. I believe in the gift of or I believe in the experience of speaking in tongues and as it is the initial sign of receiving the Holy Ghost. That's what it really means to be Pentecostal. Because you look in Acts chapter 2 and you see on the day of Pentecost, these, those things take place. But so when I say I'm Pentecostal, I don't just consider what does that mean to me. I consider what does it mean to the person or the group that I'm talking to. If I just said I'm a male, well, that's true. Does it convey everything about me that I want the person to know? Or do I want them to know more about me? More about my beliefs, more about my experiences. And so to say I'm a Christian, to my, to my mind, it does not adequately express what Paul says when he says until Christ be formed in you. You can be professed to be a Christian and do a lot of non-Christ-like things. I don't want to get off on rabbit trails today and I'm not here to get anybody in trouble, but just think about it. Like I said, survey the landscape around us. And see what does it mean to be a Christian in 2020. And then you can decide. It's kind of like those, those news broadcasters. I report, you decide. I'm just telling you, look at not, not a person, okay? Again, I'm not trying to single anybody out here or, or otherwise. But look at the collective group of what we call Christianity today. And then ask yourself, 
is Christ formed there? Because Paul wrote this to a church, a body of believers, and said, you're not there yet. You're not there yet. So until you are there, this is going to be my approach. This is going to be my my prayer for you, if you will. Till Christ, I'm, he actually, it, I, it, I'm not doing it justice because to travail in birth again is not just a simple little, oh Lord, why don't you touch him? Lord, how about you help him today? Lord, I pray for my brother. Now, that's, I don't know if you've ever seen much travail. Travail is birthing, okay? And I don't know if you've seen much travail, but usually it's not a gentle conversation such as that. Oh, let's let this child be born. Oh, you're so wonderful. That was so easy. So he's saying, I'm going through this on your behalf with a purpose. The purpose is so that Christ would be formed in you. When I look at my brother, when I look at my sister, I need to be seeing Christ. When you look at me, you need to be seeing Christ. When you hear me talk, you need to be hearing Christ. When I hear you, when others hear us talk, they need to be hearing Christ. And if they're, if they're not, Christ is not formed in you yet. Or me. So it's a, it's a, a goal. It becomes a, a target for us. I need to be at that place where Christ is formed in me. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter three, and I'll start at verse one and just do a, a little bit of quick reading here. We're talking about Christ being formed in us. It says this know that in the last days, perilous times shall come in the last days. That's we would I think most of us would say we're somewhere near the last days, if not right smack in the middle of them. So the last day's perilous time shall come. Verse 2, 4. It starts with the word for. That's an explanation of. It's how we know that the perilous times are there. For men shall be. When men are this, these things, that's how we know it's the last days and these perilous times are among us. Lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. When you see men like that, you know, the last days are there. More good news. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, Fierce, despisers of those that are good. Now, hang on. 
pause for just a second. Brother Kyle, I appreciate you staying with me back there. Despisers of those that are good. We talked a little bit about this. I don't remember how, how long ago it was. But why? Why would anyone despise someone who is good? Why? If it's good, let it go. Let it, allow it. Right? It's good. But in the last days, men become despisers of those now it doesn't, okay, listen, it does not say despisers of that which is good. That's kind of inherent there. But the reason, or, or I would say the level up from that, is despisers of those, that's talking about individual people. Despisers of individual people that are good. So when men and women... Look at a good person and then despise them. It's, a, it's the fulfilling of prophecy, really. It's the fulfilling of the word of God. Now, if we, if we don't understand this, if we don't understand why, why would you despise someone who is good? We need understanding. We need to know and learn, have our eyes be opened, our mind be opened. I think it was just last Tuesday we were talking a little bit about when you stand for the word of God, it's a simple stance. But when you do so and others start to despise that, okay, now we've got a conflict here. And that is today that is this day in this age despising those that are good now that's a list a long list of types of people remember it said for men shall be and then all of these things the next verse it says traitors uh, more good news right traitors heady high-minded Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's all these types of people. Men being that. Next verse. Having a form of godliness. Now, how you be a traitor and have a form of godliness? How you be a blasphemer and have a form of godliness? How do you be covetous and have a form of godliness? How do you be disobedient to parents and have a form of godliness? How do you be a boaster? I mean, you just pick them all out. Because when it says having a form of godliness, it's saying these men and women who are all that list of things have this form of godliness. Having a form of godliness now, I want to try and, and, and make this clear because, as I said at the beginning, 30-plus years of trying to read and, and understand the Bible, and I felt like even just today, the Lord was showing me a little bit more about this. Because in my mind, I always thought it meant, okay, they have a, 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 a false God. 
They have a, a sense of a false God. But what the Lord is telling me and telling us, I believe, today is Christ has just not been formed in those people. They have some form, not of ungodliness. That was, that was all we just read. Clearly, there's ungodliness there. But they also have some type of actual, true being like God. Well, you know what? Men, we talked about this Tuesday. Men were made in God's image. So right off the bat, if you're a man or a woman, you've got a form of godliness. If you've got a body. Okay, so we're not just, I'm not trying to draw a line down the middle and say all the good people on this side and all the bad people on this side. No, what I'm saying is you examine every person and you say, to what degree, to what measure has God, godliness or Christ been formed in that person? Because here's the next part, having a form of godliness, but denying The power thereof, of that God. Denying the power thereof. You, everyone say me. I have a form of godliness. And inherent in that form of godliness is the power of God. You know, the Lord sprung this one on me. I didn't take the time to go there before. But when the scripture says, for this cause shall a woman have power on her head with the angels. that, That is an example of what we're talking about here. It's a form of godliness. And there's power inherent in that form of godliness. Now, the key here is the word denying the power. And right here, it's not just saying, well, I'm not going to let it do what it wants to do. That's, that's a kind of the word denying, but it's not what this word denying means. Denying here means to renounce, okay? To renounce. It's more like this verse. If any man will follow me, let him first deny himself. And again, we're not just talking about, you know, smacking your hand on, smacking yourself on the hand when you reach for cookies. You're denied. You know, not just not allowing things. That scripture Just like this scripture, the the meaning of deny means I do not own myself. I'm denying. I'm renouncing. And here, what's being renounced? The power of God. Now, I don't believe that people wake up and think, "Uh, hmm, do I want to allow God's power in my life today or not? Yeah, no, not today. I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. There might be some that actually do that. But I think most 
unknowingly renounce, unknowingly deny the power of the form of godliness that they have. Because they just simply don't know the form of godliness that they have. From such turn away. That's what the verse says. From such turn away. Let me, let me read you this verse in a couple of other translations. Verse 4. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. That's the New Living Translation. Having a for, this is verse 4. Having a form of godliness, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. New English translation. They will maintain the outward appearance of religion. That's having a form of godliness. But will have repudiated its power. Amplified says, holding to a form of outward godliness or religion, although they have denied its power, for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. That's, a, that's, a, that's why I like the Amplified. It gives you a lot. When you act like a heathen, you are nullifying the godliness that's in you. The inherent. We are made. My brother. My sister. We are made in God's image. Remember. Made in his likeness. That's a form of godliness. But when you go around acting like. Conducting yourself like. You don't even know how to spell G-O-D. You're, you're canceling out. You are denying the power that God wants to have in you. I feel like so much of the Christian world today, they hinder themselves without even knowing it because they, they look at it not from the... Uh, they don't look at it from the aspect of, I need God. I need God. Christ formed in me. I need to be as much like Christ, more like Christ, more like Christ. Remember, Paul says, I die daily. He, every day he was thinking, nope, if, there's, if I'm alive, catch this, if I'm alive, there's a little bit of Paul. So you know what? That little bit of Paul or a lot of Paul, however much it is, it needs to die. So that Christ could live through him. And, and, and Christianity today says, what can I do and still be okay? How much of, oh, how much of me am I allowed to possess? How much of my life can I control? What decisions am I allowed to make for me? Because how, wherever that bar is, wherever that level is, I'm comfortable there. I want to live there. And then I want to just fill in the rest with Christ. You know, 
you talk about forming. Anybody here ever work in manufacturing? I did at one point. They have this thing called a mold, and usually whatever it is that you're making. I'll give you a little, a little funny story. There was, a, there was a season several years ago. I was working a second job at Pizza Hut, and I was delivery. I enjoyed it when I got to be out in the car because when you go back in, if there's not another order up, you know what you go do? Does anybody want to take a guess what, you're, what you go do? That's one of them. Make boxes. Wash dishes. That's another one. And I don't know, maybe I wasn't a good, good enough box maker, but I always got put on the dishes. And one time I was sitting there, and you've seen these industrial kitchens, huge uh, uh, sink and the sprayer, and you, you line them up, you roll them in. And I was sitting there, and there was another driver there. We were just, you know, a slow day, so we're moving these things through. And uh, everything's on trays, kind of like, you know, a cafeteria, about this size right here, and it's on a tray, and you slide it through. And uh, he, he was having a, a bad day and not happy, especially about having to do these dishes. And you know what I, I, I told him? You know, at least we're not making at the place, working at the place that makes these. These plastic, you know, dishes. I mean, at least we get a little bit of freedom here. We, we actually wash these, and then we get to go out. And So it was just kind of a, it was a, it was a mindset change for me. But I'm talking about the, the mold. When you, even a, a simple flat tray made out of plastic. At the plastic manufacturing facility, they have a mold. It's what, what you fill with the, I know this is super exciting, isn't it? The resin, you fill it there, and then you cast it. You put it in a furnace or some, something that heats it, and it holds that shape. Now, the form or the mold that's empty is what determines what that tray or that outcome is going to look like. If you have half of that tray or half of that mold filled with something else, any foreign material, you're not going to get the proper outcome. And I'm talking about our lives. Our lives are supposed to be the mold, the empty mold that you pour Christ into to be formed. So that when you look at me, you see the form of what was poured into me and not me. John understood this when he said, I must decrease, he must increase. I don't want you to get a half John, half Jesus outcome. I don't want a two-thirds Jesus, one-third John. I must decrease. It's the same thing Paul was saying every, when he says, I die daily so that there is no me. And it's the same thing that he was telling the Galatians when he said, I'm travailing and praying for you until Christ is formed in you. Until it's 100% Christ. You know what? 0.001% of humanity or 0.001% of flesh can do a whole lot of damage. 
It might not sound like it, but it can. One angel out of all of God's creation, one angel caused a whole lot of trouble. And it's inherent in my nature and your nature to do the same things that that one angel did and just say, I want to be in charge of something. Give me something. I mean, just little. Let me be the one that picks up the trash, but I'm going to be in charge of it. And you know what? I get to tell people what to do. I'm the hall monitor. I get to wear, a, and this is in school, I get to wear a big badge, and then other kids have to listen to me, and I get to tell them what to do. I'm telling you what, 0.001% of that in your life can ruin you. Because when God tells you, this is my plan for you. This is my purpose. This is my will. Even for just this one day, my will for you is to do blank. And you, with your .001% of you, says, that sounds great. I will do that, Lord, today for 99.999% of this day. You just give me my .001, and I'm good with that. And, and then you got somebody like Paul that's looking and saying, Christ is not formed in them yet. I don't know of anybody else other than the Apostle Paul that would say, if you will just do what I do all the time, imitate me, is what he says, follow me. I'm telling you right now, don't look at Caleb and say, well, let's just do everything that Elder Flowers does. I mean, I'll try to get you on the right path, but I know, just like all these people that Paul was writing to, we have to abase ourselves constantly, deny ourselves so that Christ is formed in us. Read just, just this one verse quickly. Luke chapter 11, verse 42. This was the battle or the dilemma that Jesus had with the Pharisees throughout his time here on earth. At one point, he tells them, you are, you are whitewashed walls of a tomb where all the tomb on the outside is clean, perfectly clean. But inside you're full of dead men's bones. And you ought to, and then he, he, he changes and uses a different analogy. You ought to wash the inside of the cup. My kids sometimes bring me cups, and the first thing that I usually do is, Think, where has this thing been and what's inside it? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be skeptical or anything, but, you know, there's little floaties in there sometimes, and you think, 
I really appreciate you giving me this glass of water. But did you think about washing the inside of the cup first? That's what Jesus tells the Pharisees. You're coming to the to your form of godliness, to the temple, and you look so nice on the outside. You take care so much of the outward appearance, but you didn't even stop to think about what's on the inside. And you know why? It's because in their day, up until then, they had not had any they had not had any interaction with anyone who even could see the inside or would even make mention or thought of the inside. It's just, let me project the best image of myself that I can and not even worry about what's on the inside. But he tells him, you ought to wash the inside. Now here, this is Luke eleven forty-two. 42, here, another interaction that Jesus has with him. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. Because what he sees is a Pharisee or a Pharisaical spirit sits there and casts judgment on every other person, casts judgment on all that's taking place around them, and he says, you looked over, you've neglected the love of God and the judgment of God. And instead, you are just sitting here trying to count how many herbs does it take to satisfy God, to tithe, how much... You know, is it, do, do I need to cut this one in half? And he's saying you're focused on something so close that you are missing the God nature of why you're doing what you're doing. Christ is not formed in you. It's what the Pharisees did. I'm going to read you a few things that I wrote here. Why don't you stand with me? I'm almost done. This godliness, when Paul said it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, a form of godliness, it's a type of religious devotion or spirituality, a Godward attitude that does that which is well-pleasing to God. I'm going to read you another way that I worded that. When it's human efforts, everyone say human efforts. My efforts. When it's my efforts, it's the equivalent of people putting on a God face and doing or saying what they think a good Christian does. This is what the Pharisees did. They put on, like Sister Schoonover was saying, a mask, a godly, God-looking, Jesus-looking mask, and then start to act and talk the part. That is a form of godliness. Having a form of godliness. 
Instead, it should be the act of allowing God to be God through you, doing things His way. True godliness produces His attributes and His nature in me. True godliness. It produces God, His nature and His attributes in my life. When I'm really godly, it brings power to my life. But it's not my power. It's the power thereof. The power of God. The form of godliness that comes with its power. Why don't we pray? Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would be formed in me today. God, I pray that any element of me, any element of my flesh, God, that's my mind, that's my thoughts, Lord, that's my actions, my desires that are not from you. God, I pray that you would be formed in me. In the name of Jesus, I decrease, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I want to open this altar right now and give you a chance to pray, give you a chance to respond. I feel the Lord, He's forming, He's working in us. He wants to do a work where He would form Himself in our life. Let's allow for that. Come on, let's open up and let's allow for that. For God to do His work is forming in us in the name of Jesus. Come on, I encourage you, take some time and pray right now. In Jesus' name.
I need to say something really quickly. I need to say this. I pray that you hear me. What's supposed to be produced by what the Lord is doing here, it's not supposed to be self-hatred, okay? I have to make that clear. It's not supposed to produce hatred of yourself. You don't look at yourself and say, I'm just such terrible, such a bad person. What it's supposed to do is change our nature. You, if you're not careful, you could spend your life instead of promoting God, you could spend your life promoting self-hatred towards yourself and then you know what it produces it in others too because as soon as you have that in you and you start to speak it to other people whether you even know it or not you're telling them you're no good you're telling them there's nothing good about how God made you We are formed in His image. We are made and created in His likeness. That is good. That is good. That is holy. God didn't make a bunch of sinful, dreadful human beings and then to decide, oh, what did I do? I messed up here. No, He made us in His image. That's what I'm talking about, changing your nature. And saying, I am formed in God's image. Let's pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, be formed in us today. Form your nature in us, God. Form your likeness in us, God. Let the love of God shine through us. Let it shine in us. Let it shine in our hearts. Let the love of God be shined abroad in our hearts. God, I thank you for your love. God, I thank you for your love. Jesus, I thank you. I claim it today, God. I speak it over my own life, Jesus. You love us, God. You love us, God. You love us, God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 
Ikatahaye andololo moroshatahaya. Ikatahai. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, I know the scripture says, Whom God loveth, he chasteneth. Whom God loveth, he corrects. He chastens us because he's our father and that he created us and he loves us. But he does not want that to be projected out of you onto anybody else. He does not want me to go around chastening people. That's his part. That's his part. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, be formed in us. Lord, be formed in us. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. done working in here. I'm just asking you to let the Lord do His work today. 